It's good to be with you guys today. Uh, I hadn't heard that song, I'll, I'll Make Room For You. That is a wonderful song. I love it. Uh, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord with you guys today. My name is Dave Oligard. I'm the uh, GLC director. It's going on my ear. Yep. Yep. Your shape. There you go. Alright, you good? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry? There we go. There you go. Woo! In touch with the supernatural. Alright. Well, my name is Dave Odegaard. I'm the uh, director of the Great Lakes Conference. I took over for Earl, uh, Dr. Mills. And I'm also the president of the denomination. So I just want to commend Mount Tabor. Uh, thank you for partnering with the Great Lakes Conference. This is an important church, a wonderful church, a place where God is moving. Uh, we give high marks to uh, Pastor Darwin and even higher marks to Polly. So, uh, great family. Yeah. Every, we all tell that joke. We like Darwin and we love Polly, right? <laughs> so, uh, anyway, let's bow before the Lord in prayer as we go to his word. Father, just thinking about uh, what the elder who came up and said about receiving the word of God. That's what we want to do, Lord. We read it. We study it, Lord. Your word says to study the Bible, not just to read it, but to study to show yourself approved. And Lord, that's what we want. We want to hear your word. We want it to go deeply into our heart. We want it to get past all of the defenses that we set up, either knowingly or unknowingly, to protect ourselves from the life that you might be calling us to. We pray, Lord, that the word would circumvent all of those barricades and that it would touch down in the very core of our being, in the heart of hearts, Lord. That it would be planted there like a seed that would overtake the entire garden. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us. Lord, that we would receive your word, that we would be changed by it, that we would learn to live underneath the authority of your word. Lord, that we would accept all that you have for us in that. So come and be with us and give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church this morning. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, I asked the first service this too, are you guys accustomed to standing for the Word of God to be read? If not, would you accommodate me this morning and rise with me? I'm not going to read the entire thing, I'm just going to read the first part of Luke chapter 15. Uh, I'll read from 11 to 16, alright? I don't want you guys to, you know, swoon or something just with the, uh, all the reading. Verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate, so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, 
but no one gave him anything. You can be seated. So you all know this story. Uh, this is commonly called the prodigal son, but I like to call it uh, the parable of a man who had two sons who failed to relate to him, which is too long of a title, uh, and that's why the prodigal son title is so popular. But in the opening verses, there was a man who had two sons. That's why I like to call it that. He is the central figure of this parable. A man who had two sons. And neither of these sons relate to him. Now, another reason I like this uh, parable, well, I love all parables, because the parable is a story, and it's so easy to remember all the details. A parable is like a depth charge. You know, like uh, when you're trying to destroy submarines or something, you drop those depth charges and it goes down, 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 past all the defenses, and then poof, flash of light, revelation, and you're never the same. The same with these parables. Jesus makes these to get past people's defenses. So we hear the story, and we can see its truth, just right on the surface level, we can see the truth, even though there's layers and layers to it. And it goes down and it gets past our defenses, and then all of a sudden, revelation, and we're never the same again. This particular parable, and all the parables of Luke 15, Jesus writes against the Pharisees, or delivers against the Pharisees. So they know they're the bad guy in these stories. And the crowd knows they're the bad guy in these stories. But there's several characters. There's the father. There's his two sons. There's the servants. Uh, they factor into the story. And each one of these teaches us a lesson about the gospel. I love this parable because it's the entire gospel in a small form, in a capsule, if you will, that if you understand what Jesus is saying in this parable, it's everything you need to know about the gospel itself, the good news. So, it starts here with a young man who demands his inheritance early. This was an insulting thing. This was a sin to do this, to dishonor your father and your mother. He goes to his dad, basically says, I wish you were dead, just give me the money, that's what I'm hanging on for here. Uh, give me my inheritance early. And then he goes and he squanders it. Now this is wrong. It's immoral what he does. And I want to just say to all the young men in the audience, uh, this is the world's temptation for you. Now, it's true of all of us, but I just want to address you, young men, for one minute. Because you are the ones that God is going to put tomorrow on your shoulders. You are the ones who will have to face down the enemy. You are the ones who will have to say no to these temptations so that you can provide and protect your family. Every single one of you young men need to learn to reject what the prodigal son did not reject. The world came to him, offered him pleasure, offered him all of these things, and he went down that, that road like a bull with a ring in its nose. And that 
life ends in the pigsty. And that story is true. Every young man has a couple of battles. Every one of us has a dragon to face down. We have to fight against the world and the flesh and the devil. You know, I see all these uh, things on YouTube about, like, this hyper-masculinity. Now, I'm not talking about masculinity. It's not toxic. It's good. The world needs strong men, and I hope you'll be that. But this idea that, uh, you know, the over-sexualization and, and it's my way or the highway, the machismo, the all the women and all that kind of stuff, and the money and all the pleasure... That's not manhood. That's still being a boy. That's immature. <clears throat> Men learn to provide and to protect and to be strong for the weak to protect. So a lot of men clearing their throats right now. I think that's probably coincidental. <laughs> but uh, hopefully you'll, you'll receive this in spirit that I give it. You have to be strong uh, John writes, I write to you, young men, because you're strong. Because you have overcome the evil one. That's John chapter 2. Or 1. 1 or 2. First John, 1 or 2. You read it, let me know. The other thing is, you have a woman that you're going to have to find. And if you are in the wrong places, you're going to find the wrong one. And that has lifelong consequences. So be in the right places. A dragon to slay, a woman to find, and a god to worship. Those three things. That's what it means to be a man. And for those of you in the church who are men, you have to be the example for the young men to follow. Be strong. Be manly. It's good. You women... Help out with that. Uh, I'm not going to... I only have so much time. You know, we make room, uh, oh Lord, we make room for you, and then we set that timer, which is 25 minutes, by the way, oh Lord, because uh, the breakfast buffet at the Solana place, uh, they're not making any room for you, oh Lord. So, I'll make 25 minutes this morning. Uh, anyway... I only have so much content, so we can't go into all the husband-wife relationships. But in the consideration of the prodigal, what snared him was a short view of the future. He traded in his inheritance for nothing. For pig stuff. That's the moral story. The moral story is, uh, if you ask for your inheritance, and you squander it in wild living, you will end up in the pigsty, you'll die, the end. That's the moral story. If Jesus had stopped there, everybody in the crowd would have said, he's a good teacher. He's, uh, he's reinforced the moral teaching of the law. The soul that sinned, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. This is all true. The moral story is a true story. But it's not the only story now. Jesus came into the world, it tells us, in John chapter 1, verse 14. Full of grace and truth. Grace. 
the author of Hebrews says that he comes to open a new and living way. In Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses of that, of that chapter says that we were all under the dominion of the enemy, under the dominion of Satan. We were followers of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, children of disobedience, destined for the wrath of God. In Jesus' parable, that is the pigsty, that's the slop bucket, and that's death in an unclean place. But then verse 4 says, but... I like to say this, please don't think I'm uncouth, but this is the biggest but in the Bible. In my Bible, I have it circled, I have it underlined, I have it highlighted. Because that's the end of the moral story. The law comes to tell us what is sin, and the law kills us. We are all condemned by it. And if that was the end, this is the story of the world. God made a wonderful garden. We squandered our inheritance because we wanted sin. We turned it into a pigsty. We all died. The end. God is just. That's the moral story. Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. And he opens up a way for us. A new and living way through the death of Jesus Christ. He offers us mercy. So this prodigal, there he is, living in his pigsty. And he comes to his senses. Reality has a way of waking us up. Uh, I remember I had a, a discussion with my dad one time. And uh, I can't remember what it was. But I said, man, I, something just slapped me in the face. And he said, was it reality? It was my dad's wit. Reality will slap you in the face, and it will hurt. And it has a way of waking us up. Uh, like the kid who says, I don't believe in dentists. Well, you will if you just keep eating that candy. Reality itself will assert itself. Uh, and intrude upon you, and that's what happens to the, to the prodigal. He's in the pigsty, and he comes to his senses. I should probably get a gauge on a clock somewhere. Is there a clock? Wow, you guys are really advanced thinkers. That's great. I, I have to bring one. What time do I end here? When, when the Lord stops speaking to you. When the Lord stops speaking to me, it will be when I'm dead, Ben. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> well, I'm at 11.30 tops, absolute latest, okay? 11.30 tops, absolute latest, all right. Uh, we'll, we'll see how far we get there. I can probably end before that if, if I need me to. If you guys, like, just, just leave when you're done. <laughs> when you've heard enough. Just go. I won't be offended. You know, eventually the room will be empty, and I'll have sleeping children, and some nursery worker will bring back my other kids and say, here, we're going home too. Uh, so now here's the prodigal. He comes to his senses. He says, you know, the servants in my father's house have it better than I do. I'm going back there. And he works out this spiel. Let me read it to you. 
Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. So he works it all out. Now, a lot of evangelicals like to say that the prodigal here, this is his salvation experience, and it is not. He has not learned the gospel here. He's in the pigsty, and he says, you know what, my old brother was right. You do have to work for it. It's, I'm going to get up, I'm going to go work. I'm going to go work hard. That's how we earn our Father's love. I'll go back to him, I'll say this, I'll try to get in, I'll try to convince him to let me back in just so I can be a hired man. i got to have something to eat. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not work harder, although we do work hard, but we don't work hard in order to earn our place with the Father. But that's what he does. So he gets up, he goes back to the Father. Let me read a couple more verses. <clears throat> but while the prodigal was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I love that scene. I just imagine, you know, he's girded up his loins, so, you know, they all wear robes. And you can't run in those. That's why the Bible says to gird up uh, your loins. What that means is you take the the long hem of that garment and you tie it up to the side so that your legs are free and you can fight or run or move or make war, whatever you got to do. So that's what he does. He hikes up his, his robe and he takes off running. And in my mind, the way the scene works is, you know, he's there and he sees him off down the lane and he takes off and his long white beard is kind of billowing in the, in the wind as he's just chucking down the road, grabs his boy. Then the son, verse 21, starts into his spiel. You know, the whole way there, he's like, hey, this is what I'm saying, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son, just make me a servant. And, you know, he's rehearsing it all the way, and the father comes, and he starts in, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you, make me one of your servants. And the father just cuts him off. He doesn't even finish the whole spiel. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Bring the fatted sack. Bring a new robe. Bring a ring. My son is home. It reminds me of that parable of the unjust steward. Uh, you remember that one? The man owed a thousand talents of gold uh, to the king, and he couldn't pay it, and uh, the king has compassion on him and says, look, forget it. This is an unpayable sum, and it really was unpayable. The entire debt, the tax bill for the entire area of Israel under the Roman government was five talents per year. Five talents of gold. So you can imagine someone who owed a thousand talents. There's nobody that has that kind of money. Everybody that heard that parable knew that Jesus was saying, this guy was done for. There's it's an unpayable debt. The king knew that. 
But somehow this guy didn't get that. King said, forget it. You don't you can't pay it. So don't worry about it. Just go. Be well. Be free. Be happy. You're you're out of here. The guy never receives it. He doesn't want grace. And we know that because what he did next, he goes out and he grabs his fellow man, he takes him by the throat, he says, give me that day's wages that you owe me. In his mind, he's still thinking he's going to come up with it. I'll show him, I'll go back, and uh, I'll give him his thousand talents of gold. He'll be so surprised, won't he, when I show up? He's never going to make it. But he didn't understand that. He never received grace. As a matter of fact, when he goes in to ask, he doesn't ask for grace. He asks for more time. And he receives grace. Same with the prodigal here. He goes in and says, make me a servant. Just make me a hired man. But he receives grace. It's not good enough. Now the servants, they're part of this. And the servants work harder than either boy. And they're not sons. Because sonship is not conferred on hard work. Although I want to encourage all of you, work as hard as you can. Do as much as you can. Give as much as you can. Live your entire life. Expend this short, vapor-like life that we have building as much as you can in the eternal. It's all an investment. And that next one is the one that really counts, not this one. This one's expendable, so spend it. But you can't do it in order to try to be saved, or to try to be sons of God. So the prodigal receives this grace. And the father said, let's throw a party. I love that part. Uh, in my mind now, uh, I'm thinking, you know, like like the cornfield, and the farmer has gone in and kind of uh, harvested it out a big hollow section in the middle, and there's a bonfire out there, and the bass is kicking in, you know, and uh, everybody's out there partying, you can hear it, and the older brother happens to be going to the barn, and he's like, what is that thumping? And one of the servants says, oh, there's a party out there. Your brother's home. Now, what should happen if this guy knew the father's heart? He should go, all right, get my party gear on. Point out which field exactly they're in. That's always my heart. Uh, anytime you guys want to throw a party, send me an invite. I love to party. All right? So, uh, I mean, it's always just so festive, and especially like things like baptisms. Oh man, what a party that is, to see those people come and make a public demonstration of a, of a profession of faith. Throw a hog in the ground, and let's party. Anyway, uh, the older brother, though, does not party. What does he do? Let's read a couple verses. Verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. 
So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother is coming, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. The older brother will chide the father and say, I've slaved for you. I earned it. I worked for it. You see, he doesn't understand grace either. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. If you'll never be good enough. You'll never work hard enough to earn it or deserve it. You don't. The world is a pigsty and we're all dying in it. You know, the Asbury Revival has been mentioned a couple of times this morning. And I don't know how you feel about it. It doesn't really matter. I know that our nation has been filling up on pigsty pods for so long that they're longing for something more substantial. You can go out of the world. Our, the United States is a prodigal son. Born and raised in this world to be a light on the hill, a city on the hill. That was our destiny, our vision, our national vision. We want to be a light for Christ in this world. And that is not what it is today. It needs to come to its senses. So I know that at some point, as has happened in the past, God is going to wake us up. And if this Asbury thing is not that, it'll be something like it. Somewhere along the line, the national appetite is going to turn to God and God is going to outpour His Spirit. But what I have enjoyed watching, or in some cases just became angry, I don't know if you're like me or not, but uh, I've been watching TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and I like watching the comments on the Asbury Revival, seeing where people are at. There was this guy, <clears throat> I, I just thought it was completely ridiculous. Uh, he was a, a fundamentalist Baptist pastor, and uh, he was on TikTok and he said, I'm going to tell you why I know that this is not of God. This is, so he, he's judged the entire revival as spurious and not of God based on this sign. They do not use the King James Version of the Bible. Therefore, God is not in this. And I thought, you Pharisee, that's what you are. Jesus heals a lame man, and the Pharisee says, You know how I know? You're not of God? You did it on the Sabbath. Or, all I needed to know about this man, to know he wasn't a prophet, was he let that sinful woman touch him. That's all I needed to know. Pharisees. Jesus said, Not only do you not go in, but you stand in the door and you block others from going in. And that's just what this guy was doing. You gotta make room for God. We're not the judge. We're not the jury. He doesn't care what you think about his revivals. You're either gonna be a part of it or you're not gonna be a part of it. You can choose that. But he's gonna do what he wants to do. And that's the end of it.
And he's not going to ask your permission or ask for your approval. The older brother, he disapproved. And what would Jesus have done here, though? So Jesus, in, in one sense, the scripture says that Jesus is like our older brother. Now, he's our Lord, he's our Savior, he's God the Son, and there are a lot of ways in which he is very much unlike us. But in one sense, he's compared to our older brother. In this sense, the Father did not want to destroy mankind, and therefore he sent his Son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish. But have eternal life. That's God's hand. And he sends his son into the world. If the older brother was like Jesus, he would have done what the other two parables uh, in Luke 15, the lost coin, the lost sheep. The lost coin, someone loses a coin, they sweep the entire house, looking every nook and cranny until they find it. They don't rest until they find that lost coin. The lost sheep, the shepherd leaves 99, and he goes and he scours every burrow pit, every forest, everything, until he finds that sheep and brings it home. That's what Jesus Christ did. He did not stay aloof in heaven, in the Father's house. But he robed himself in flesh. He became incarnate. He moved into the neighborhood that he might seek and save the lost. That's what he said. I've come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus grabs the lamp off the barn and he goes out into every pigsty looking around until he finds us. That older brother should have did that. If he knew the Father's heart, that's what he would have done. <clears throat> there was a... Ben, how are we doing on time? I know you're monitoring it, right? Yeah, you're doing great. Doing great? All right. Yeah. I'll look for myself. Thank you. All right, 13 minutes. There was a boy named Edsel Boso, he's from Argentina, and he was a, just a great preacher. And if you remember, there was a big revival in Argentina in the 90s. Hundreds of thousands of people got saved in this revival, and Ed was part of the center of it. Uh, but he tells a story about when he was a kid, and he said in, the, in South America, in the Latin world, they have this thing that adults love and children hate. It's called siesta time. This is the time where at uh, like 11 to 2 or something like that, everyone takes a three-hour nap. The older I get, the more I want to be a part of that culture. Uh, but what happens is everybody in South America, all the adults go to sleep. And the kids like try to sneak out, go play soccer. They're supposed to be sleeping in their bed, but everyone's asleep. The guardians are asleep, and they do what they're going to they're do. So little Ed, uh, he snuck out. He's playing soccer with his friends, and he tried to get back before everyone woke up, and, and he did a couple of times, but one time he gets caught. So his punishment was, well, I can't trust you. You're going to sleep in my bed during siesta time. He said that was way worse, because his dad would fall asleep instantly, and here he is, just laying in the bed for three hours in the afternoon. He said, uh, he made a map 
all the little cracks in the plaster on the ceiling. Uh, he pretended they were like rivers. He named them all. He made up stories for, uh, you know, the people that might live along those rivers. I mean, absolute boredom. All of this is just woven out of his boredom. And he said, all the while, uh, he could hear his dad's heartbeat. So he started making up like little rhymes. I love my son, little Eddie. You know, and uh, just, just to get through the time. Maybe some of you children are having a similar experience right now. I don't know. Uh, but he's trying to get through. Years later, uh, Ed Soboso uh, gives the testimony. He'd become a pastor, and he was serving in the church, and uh, you can lose your first love. You start doing all of this for all of the sake of all of this. You forget that the mission is out there. Once you walk into the kingdom of God, you're not the mission anymore. Now you need to be discipled, you need to grow up, but now you're the missionary. You're on mission, not the mission. And we forget that. Start thinking, you know what, I'm owed this. I, I own this. I pay my dues and therefore, you know, I got a say in it. The wall color better be a certain kind. The furniture better be a certain kind. I better like it. Uh, and we start acting as though we're the proprietors of the place. And that's not true. We don't own it, and we are not owed anything. Let that go into your heart. That'll, that's the antidote to Phariseeism. So, Ed, he came to that point in his life where uh, he didn't want the mess of new believers. The pain of uh, cutting off large parts of the budget for outreach and things like that. And he had to repent. Because the Lord brought him up short and said, if you knew my heartbeat, just like you used to listen to your father's heartbeat, if you knew my heartbeat, and if these boys knew their father's heartbeat, they would know that it's None to perish, all to come to repentance. None to perish, all to come to repentance. None to perish, all to come to repentance. That's what our Father wants. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so send I you into the world. You're the one that has to grab the lamp off the barn and go out into the cesspool that we call planet Earth and reach in and grab these blue-haired, tatted-up, fish-hook-faced people and bring them home with you. Fill it up. You have to do that. Jesus is our example. If you don't do it, it doesn't get done. But in any event, even if you don't do it, don't hinder those who are. That's the height of Phariseeism. Not only do you stand in the door and not go in, so my counsel is go in. But even if you don't go in, don't stand in the door and prevent everybody else from going in. At least have the decency to get out of the way. 
It says in John chapter 1, verse 10, 11, and 12, it says Jesus came to that which was his own, to his own people, and they did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, he gave the authority to become the children of God. Not the servants, not the hirelings. Now, sir, don't you, do not hear, oh, uh, Pastor Dave said I don't have to serve. That's not the case. You do. But you can't become a son by your service. We just do that because of what God has done. It's a, it's a P.S. He's done everything for me, therefore I owe him everything. Give the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or human decision, but born of God. I lost my dad a few weeks ago. <clears throat> and uh, my grandma was one of the most important persons in our lives. And she was a wonderful Christian lady. She led hundreds of people to Christ, probably thousands. Uh, in our little hometown back in Montana, that's where I'm from. That's why it seems so cool to all of you. <laughs> uh, thousands of people, hundreds at least, that I know of. And my dad heard the gospel, responded early, but then backslid. Became a prodigal, just like America. And uh, he became an alcoholic. He lived his life in his own way. He's a good man, a loving man, but he was not born again. And uh, we found out he had stage four cancer. It was an accidental discovery. He thought he had back pain. The doctor said, you do have back pain, this is why. It's not, your back's not out, it's, you're dying. We had 10 days with him. So I drove to Montana, I picked him up, or I flew to Montana, I drove him back to Ohio so he could die with his family. Most of his grandkids are here. Uh, and I was spending time with him every night, and every time I could get, I would spend there. So I spent a lot of nights bedside uh, during that 10 days. And he was telling me, he told me, and I didn't know this, he said that about six months prior to this, gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he said, and he said, I didn't know about the cancer, I didn't know anything about this, so God knows that I was sincere. I said, well, Dad, God knows if you're sincere or not. He knows your heart. I said, but it is nice because now we know you're sincere. So that's good. And as an act of faith and, uh, and good faith, he, he gave up drinking. <coughs> Lifelong alcoholic, gave that up. <clears throat> that didn't make him a Christian. It was his faith that made him a Christian. But as an act of good faith and obedience, he gave that up. And, and everything else that he could think of, ended up sins. And he was saying, so I hope, I hope that's enough. I said, Dad, you're coming at the last hour here. But you and I are getting in on the same ticket. Now here, I was called into the ministry when I was 17 years old. I've been walking with Christ since then. I was saved at five, dedicated my life at 17, 
the Bible has been the orienting presence in my entire life. Uh, I've been preaching the gospel now for 25 or so years. Whatever 45 minus 17 is, that's how long I've been preaching the gospel. I was told there would be no that. So I have all kinds of good works. But those are not in any way value added to the fact that Jesus loves sinners and saves them by his grace. We're going, so I told my father this, we are getting into heaven on the same ticket. The fact that God loves sinners and saves them by his grace. There's nothing that we can add to that. Praise be to the Lord that we have an opportunity to work for him as an act of gratitude for what he did for us. He rescued us. What else am I going to do? He's the most wonderful thing I know. The Bible is a beautiful book that teaches me how to live. And there's so many good things about it. The true, the good, the beautiful. But that's not what it means. Sonship is conferred. Not earned. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. But you can receive it. And Jesus came that you can receive it. And there's a dying, perishing world living in a pigsty all around us that are waiting for you to grab that <coughs> roll up your sleeves, and get to work with the rest of us trying to pull these people out. So that's my charge to you, Mount Tabor, and you individuals that are here. Don't be Pharisees. Don't think that any of this stuff that you see around you matters, because it doesn't. You trade all this stuff for one sinner, and you have a good trade. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this church. <clears throat> Lord, they have heard your word, and they've responded in faith, and they continue to do that. I thank you for Darwin and Polly's ministry here, and I pray that you'd be with them and comfort them in their loss. Be with their whole family, Lord God. Touch them, Lord. We're grateful for them. We ask your blessings to be upon them. For all those others, Lord, who serve here, all the all the people who come and go and put everything together for this to happen so that the church can be blessed, Lord, we ask blessings on them. But Lord, we do not come in here like we're a bunch of consumers. That somehow all of this is meant to make us feel good and gratify our tastes. That's not what it's about at all. This is a war college for how to save the people around us. It's a hospital for sinners. Lord, I pray that you would be with my table, be with each one of these individuals, Lord, that when revival comes, Lord, it would certainly come here. Think of the psalm, be lifted up, you ancient doors. Be lifted up that the King of glory might come in. Lord, we have an open posture to you. Lord, we're happy. If the revival in Asbury begins to spread and 
like a wildfire all across the country, all across the world. Great. But certainly here as well, O oh Lord. We make room for you. We repent of our sins, Lord God. We repent of it all. Forgive us. Just come and be our Lord. We'll be your people. The sheep of your pasture. Fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. We surrender to you. In his name we pray. Thank you, Pastor Dick. The altar is open, and whether you're the rebellious prodigal or the religious Pharisee, he offers it that we do have to come to Christ and receive that sonship. So, um, whatever is on your heart, uh, present to the Lord as we, we end the service here this song. <laughs>